So this morning we'll do, we'll begin the, with the devotions, which I mentioned earlier. And then we'll go right directly into the meditation. And before the devotions, I'd like to make a few comments about the uh, shift in the practice of mindfulness of breathing that I'd like to initiate this morning. For those of you familiar with the kind of the sequence, we are moving now from the emphasis on relaxation without losing clarity to the second phase, the second emphasis really, of enhancing stability without losing that sense of ease. It's very easy to lose the sense of ease when we concentrate, when we bear down, when we start to want to accomplish something, when we start pushing, getting goal-driven, and ego comes in, a bit of frustration comes in. I'm not progressing fast enough. That's when you start to seize up, just like an engine with no oil in it. So don't do that. <laughs> don't do that. But I was reading, um, reading Vasubandhu's account of mindfulness of breathing yesterday. I was alerted to this by a friend of mine. Some that I, I don't really know him all that well. He attended a retreat that I gave in, uh, in France a couple of months ago. And uh, he had been given personal advice by Gyalakamapa the current Gyalakamapa, uh, when he told him that he was interested in mindfulness breathing, and Gyalakamapa suggested uh, a Gagyupa text that referred to, actually, and paraphrased and gave some commentary on mindfulness of breathing as taught in Vasubandhu's Abhidhamakosha Bhashyama, or the Zorangdel, Zorangdel, and as soon as he showed me that, he showed me the Tibetan text, I, I translated it, copied it down from my own notes, and then yesterday I uh, was looking at the original, the, the auto-commentary. I won't elaborate on it. Vasubandhu, the brother of Asanga, uh, presents mindfulness of breathing in just six phases, and the first of these is counting. counting. And he takes a slightly different approach than his brother, Asanga. Brothers do differ, you know. And uh, he said, okay, here's how you count. And this is what I'd like to suggest you, to suggest you do this morning. I tried it. I like it. Count one to ten. And no more and no less. And just keep going one to ten. No more and no less. Better nine. You know, okay. <laughs> and don't go ten, eleven, twelve. Nope. And as soon as you see you've screwed up, go back to the beginning. So, in the 21st century, here's what I suggest. Play this like a video game. I know Morgan really loves video game. This is why I especially suggested it for him. <laughs> what I mean by that is playfully. Just have fun with it. That's what I'm really saying. I see my little, my little grandson playing video games, but like, he can play them forever. And it never gets tired. You have to get, you know, like, like Charlton Heston, you know, to take my rifle out of my dead hands take that little video game out of my grandson's dead hands, you know, he's clinging to it. But kids, you know, that's what kids do. But the real theme is kind of a playful approach. So we're moving now to stability without losing a sense of ease. Well, this means, as you may very already be familiar, what I'm suggesting here, following Padmasambhava, actually, is this oscillation of arousal release, arousal release, you know? Really helpful. And he emphasizes that a lot. 
And so with each cycle of the respiration, when you arouse during inhalation, release during exhalation, then you, you can take each cycle as a little mini session all by itself. Just like, you know, when we did the five second thing, you found it so easy. Five seconds, rest, rest your awareness in its own state. Oh, so easy. Yeah. And so if similarly, you say, okay, and now don't, stay, don't change your positions, don't do anything, just breathe in, in, out, one cycle, and be aware. You ready? Let's do it right now. I think you've almost achieved shamatha. Wasn't it easy? Wasn't it? One cycle, right? So just do one cycle. Again and again and again. And there it is. As you're breathing and arousing, you're overcoming laxity. You've got to do that. And as you're rela rela relaxing and releasing during the out-breath, you're overcoming excitation. Hey, problem solved. You know? But then he says counting. Vasubandhu says counting. And interestingly enough, he says, count one through ten, one through ten, one through ten, until you achieve samadhi. Yeah, that's what he said. Until you achieve samadhi. And that is this unification, the mind totally in the flow. So, ten cycles. Ten cycles. As your whole body-mind system settles down, calms down, needs less air, you may find, I'm not trying to lead you here, guide you here, make this happen, but you simply may find that after some time, the breath does kind of become shallower, not a whole lot of volume coming in, and uh, especially when that happens, ten cycles goes by pretty quickly. So then have ten cycles, one through ten, let that be one session, made up of ten little sessions. So the long session could be less than a minute, right? less than a minute, ten cycles, not very long. But then playfully, you know. Just, and I would suggest, you know, keep, keep with the earlier technique, one count at the end of, in breath, uh, of inhalation. So you're rousing, one. Arousing, two. Releasing. And if you had one of those screens on top of your head, all you would see would be an empty screen with one. That's all that would be there. But play, play with it. See if you can count one through ten and not lose count. And not dribble over into eleven, twelve, thirteen. <laughs> and as soon as you screw up, then playfully, just like you're rebooting a video game or whatever, just go right back to one. If you're, if you're a seven and you got confused, you lost it, go back to one. And see whether you can, how many perfect games you can score. Score a perfect game. Okay. Playful. Let it be light. Let it be kind of fun. A whole bunch of short sessions. You know? And keep quiet in between counts. That's the whole point. And I thought of a nice, to my mind, it's a useful analogy. In America, I, I know in California, I've seen this a number of times, um, if you're coming down on a, on a freeway, highway, motorway, autobahn, autostrada, one of the big highways, when you're coming down a steep incline and it goes on and on, the, the really big trucks, the 18-wheelers, 18, 18 sometimes their brakes burn out, right? 
So they're coming down and boy, one of those things got a lot of momentum and if it's got no brakes, there's going to be really some hurt, you know, if it just crashes in the cars and so forth. So what they have, many of you have seen it, I'm sure, when they get kind of maybe halfway, two-thirds of the way down this very steep incline, they'll have a place, they have an alert, trucks with no brakes, take a right here. And it's just a very gentle slipping off to the right, and then it just goes on and on and on on gravel. And the whole idea is, we're assuming you're probably traveling 80 miles an hour with an enormous momentum behind you. And now you're going to go on this gravel until you have no brakes, but it's just going to slow you down till you come to a dead stop and nobody gets hurt. Very nice, yeah? Even if only one out of, you know, 5,000 of those needs it, that's a really nice way to have the great momentum just grind to a halt, but gently to a halt. Gently to a halt. Okay. The train of thought, obsessive ideation, it's called Vikalpa or Namdok in Tibetan. Does it ever, your own mind, when it's just going blah, 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 blah. Does it ever remind you of a big truck going down the hill at very high velocity with no brakes? And you just can't get it to shut up. You got no brakes. You're like, Oh, nothing happening. Be quiet, mind. You be quiet. Blah, 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 blah. Be quiet, mind. You be quiet. Blah, 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 blah. Be quiet. Please be quiet. Blah, blah, blah. Shut up yourself. You know, you know it's just... Crushing everything in its way. Rumination. You know. Runaway truck. So, you can try to put on brakes. The one kind of brake that is used often in classic teachings is um, visualizing Buddha images. That's called a break. You know, look at a Buddha image like this one's lovely one right here. Look at it closely and then, then put it, you know, generate it in your mind and focus on it single-pointedly and kind of continuously. Good luck with that. <laughs> you know, if you're living in Tibet at 5,000 meters 100 years ago, I think that really worked. Because their minds are so spacious. I'm not saying they're more realized or anything like that, but, you know, really, if you've ever been at 5,000 meters and you've hung out there for a while with no cell phone, no nothing, your mind is more spacious, more relaxed, just because that's the whole nature of where you are. And, that's, and, that, and imagine you live there. So really, this technique has worked many, many, many times. Many, many times. But I've been up to that altitude, and frankly, visualization is easier. That's my experience. Up at 5,000 meters, much, much easier. And then if you're living there and you have no elect electronics, no reading, no entertainment, no nothing, just you and a whole lot of sky, maybe a few yaks. It's easier. You have some brakes. But for us living in modernity, I don't think we have any brakes. And so the Buddha himself taught mindfulness of breathing as the technique for people who are especially prone to obsessive thinking, rumination. That's the one he taught. And I really think the mood of it is very much like those runoff ramps, where the great big truck with all of its momentum just goes off of there and it doesn't slow down quickly, but it does slow down until it just comes to a stop and the truck driver achieves some money, or at least stops the truck. So, there's that point. Second point in this regard, Well, from the very beginning, as we did in the very first session, we're seeking to rest in awareness in a way that is our closest facsimile to resting in the substrate consciousness, 
it would be nice to rest in Rikpa, but right now that may not be so accessible. But substrate consciousness, kunshinamshi, to be resting there. And I mentioned this, and I've mentioned it before, but what I'm getting to right now is a very important point. And that is in the experiential descriptions of resting in the substrate consciousness. This point is made. And that is the light of your substrate consciousness illuminates appearances, thoughts, whatever comes up, any objects. The light from your awareness, the substrate consciousness, illuminates appearances, but it does not enter into them. It does not merge with them. It does not slip into them and become fused with them. It remains in its own place and it illuminates them. So we're not looking for a non-duality of your awareness with the sensations of the breath. That would be like oil into paper. Here your awareness is resting in its own place, illuminating the sensations of the breath, but not slipping into, fusing with them, not going for a non-duality with the sensations of the breath. This is important. Just rest there. So even as you're counting, one more point. This is all actually very practical. could actually, I think, save you a lot of time. Rest in awareness. We're going to do the devotions shortly and then the practice, but rest in awareness. And let your mind do the counting. You don't have to think about it. One, two, three, you know how to do that without even thinking about it. They just come up, right? Just one, two, three. You don't have to think, oh, what comes after three? You know, you've got it. So just let the mind, you know, just turn the mind on. Mind, hear your instructions. It's kind of like turning on your computer and say, here, here's your program, count one to ten. And now, you know, leave me out of it, though. Because it doesn't need my intelligence to get from three to four. You will handle that. You're already programmed. So just turn your mind on. At the end of, in, of each inhalation, count one, right through ten, and then go back to the beginning. And then you know the instruction. If you lose count, go back. If you go beyond, go back. Uh, and then in between counts, just be, be quiet. But in the midst of all that, rest in awareness. And let the mind do the talking. Let the mind do the thinking. Don't get caught up in it. Don't meditate on the counting. So the counting is kind of the counting themselves. Again, another analogy, close to the to the off ramp for the the runaway for the runaway truck or lorry, uh, is the counts are like speed bumps. So you're breathing in, you go blah blah blah, and one, oh, blah 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 blah, doop, doop. you know, you start to run away, and you hit another speed bump and another speed bump, three, four, five. Every time there's a count, whatever thoughts are coming up, that should kind of like bump it. Finished, shut up. So just let those little intermittent counts just be a little reminder. This is the only thoughts that are allowed in this domain. Everything else is noise, not useful. Shut up. And let the mind just go one through 10 and have nothing else to do. And you don't even do that. You just rest it away. This practice, I think we need to be as clever as we possibly can. But we're pretty clever folks. You know, we're pretty clever folks. We've got a great big brain. And so we need to use all our cleverness because we're coming with kind of a, a lot of, how do you say, baggage, baggage in modernity. The whole current, you know, I'm not going to belabor the point, but you know, the current, the current of modern society is not exactly going towards enlightenment going heavily and very quickly in the opposite direction. So that's our baggage. But we're also very clever. And we also have access to this wonderful array of teachings now from Theravada, from from all schools of Tibetan Buddhism, Indian Buddhism, which is like this feast of teachings now that all at our fingertips. 
a lot of good translations, many good teachings. So who's ever had such access? Even the Tibetans didn't have access to Theravada. Theravada didn't have access to Chan. Chan didn't have access to, you know, most of Tibetan Buddhism. And so, you know, that's not a problem in and of itself, but now we have access to all of these. And then we know what do we want to do? Well, make the mind serviceable. So, so I won't, I now, have, now that I've used all those words, I don't need to use many when we're actually in the meditation. So now we can, if uh, maybe you, uh, yeah, okay, Rhonda, Rhonda's coming, it's fine, Rhonda will take you. Um, we'll just pass this out. Yeah, if you have your uh, a tablet or laptop here, please don't take. Yeah, and all we're doing here, maybe this should even be on one page, but this is the way it is. You can see the, the, the devotions are just very short. And they're right there, only up to... All we're going to do right now is to the Guru, Guru Ramaji Mantra, the first one, which is the classic one. And then you'll see the text after that, from the foolish dharma of an idiot clothed in mud and feathers. So all we're doing here is simply the refuge, the bodhicitta, the seven-line prayer of Guru Rinpoche and then mantra. So it's very simple. And this is classic. This is some of the most, what do you say, commonly recited, but very, very meaningful. So as I mentioned yesterday, as we're almost getting all out, um, as I mentioned, uh, that is two days ago on Saturday, what I'd like to do here is Recite first in the all, ca- all capital letters. And for everybody listening by podcast, you should have this on, online. So you can download this at your leisure. You can be practicing along with us. Just a little bit of lag time. Um, and so we'll be reciting it first in the, in the Tibetan, where there's really the, the blessings of the tradition. Clearly a ritual, but it can be a very meaningful one. And then we'll recite it, and, and we'll do this once for the refuge in Tibetan, the second time of refuge, we recite it in English. The third time, I'll just pause in silence and just reflect upon the meaning. We'll do the same thing for the bodhicitta, and then we'll do the same, the same thing with the seven-line prayer, and then finally do the mantra. Okay? Oh, yeah. So... Um, Here's what I would suggest. Generally speaking, devotions are, unless one is really, uh, how do you say, physically disabled, in that, in that case, do whatever you need to do with the body. But generally speaking, for, for devotional practices, um, sitting upright is best. Sitting is upright, I'll try it's best. But as soon as we finished, I'm just going to go smoothly, seamlessly right into the meditation. At that time, I invite anybody who would like to shift posture, go into the supine position, for example, do that right after we're finished with the devotions, right? And that'll be every day, okay? In the Lama, who is the embodiment of the Sugatas, of the nature of the three jewels, 
I, together with the beings of the six realms, take refuge until our enlightenment. Semke doa kundun du lama sange dukne ni kangla kangdu chinle ki doa doa damchao. For the sake of all beings, I generate the spirit of awakening and cultivate the realization of the Lama as Buddha. By means of enlightened activity, I shall train each being according to their needs, and I vow to liberate the world. West frontier of Odiana, in the heart of a lotus, sits the one renowned as Padmasambhava, who achieved the wondrous supreme city, and is surrounded by a host of many dakinis. Following in your footsteps, I devote myself to practice. Please come forth and bestow your blessings, Guru Bhamasiddhi Hum. And now here's what I would suggest as we recite the mantra. Visualize Padmasambhava in the space in front of you. The image is the one here, the classic image of the Guru Rinpoche. And just as we attend to a loved one, a friend, by way of the mental images that come to mind, but we're actually attending to the person, him or herself. Similarly, direct your awareness to Padmasambhava himself, his living presence of the Buddha, by way of the image that comes to mind. So not just focusing on a mental image as a mental image. We've invoked Padmasambhava. Imagine Padmasambhava actually to be here now, gazing upon you with the eyes of great compassion.
Imagine on the crown of his head the white syllable OM. At his heart, the red syllable A. At his, did I say heart? That was throat. The red syllable A. At the heart, the blue or indigo deep blue syllable HUNG. And at his navel chakra, the red syllable HRI. OM A HUNG HRI. White, red, deep blue. And again, red. You can visualize, visualize these as Tibetan letters or in Roman letters as you wish. And then as we recite the Guru, Guru Ramaji Mantra, imagine white light, radiant white light, flowing from the white Om the Guru's crown chakra, entering your crown chakra and filling your body, your body and mind entirely with this radiant white light, purifying all obscurations of the body and sowing the seeds for the realization of Nimalakaya. As you continue reciting the mantra, imagine ruby red light flowing forth from the red A the throat chakra of Guru Rinpoche entering your throat chakra. Feeling your body, speech, and mind with this red light, purifying all obscurations of the speech, all negative karma of the speech, and sowing the seeds for the realization of Sambhogakaya. And then imagine indigo light flowing forth from the Hum at the Guru's heart entering your heart, filling your body, speech, and mind with deep blue purifying light of Buddha mind, purifying all negative karma, all stains, all obscurations of the mind, and sowing the seeds for the realization of Dhammakaya. And finally from the three syllable of the Guru's Navel chakra, imagine again ruby red light flowing forth, entering your navel chakra, filling your body, speech, and mind with this purifying red light, simultaneously purifying all obscurations of body, speech, and mind, and sowing the seeds for the realization of the svabhavakaya, the non-duality of all the preceding three kayas. So engage in this visualization as we recite the mantra, Om Ahom, what a good benesity.
ਆਉਣਾ ਹੂੰ ਵਾਰੇ ਗੁਰ ਬੈਨੇ ਸਰੀ ਹੂੰ ਨਾਉ ਜੋ ਇਨਵਿਟੇਸ਼ਨ ਅਮੈਜਿੰਗ ਗੁਰੂ ਰਮਚੇ ਇਨ ਦ ਵਿਜ਼ਿਬਲ ਫਰ ਮੀ ਓਨ ਗੁਰੂ ਕਮੀ ਟੂ ਦ ਕਰਾਊਨ ਆਫ ਯਰ ਹੈਡ ਡਿਮਿਨਿਸ਼ਿੰਗ ਇਨ ਸਾਈਜ਼ instantaneously facing in the same direction as yourself and then blissfully melting into light and this light flowing down your avaduti down the central channel to the lotus moon and sun disk at your heart Shingura Mbache forming there, appearing there at your heart. And imagine your own body, speech and mind becoming indivisible with the enlightened body, speech of mind of Guru Mbache and all the Buddhas of the three times and rest there for just a moment. If you like to switch postures, please do so now. session will be just 20 minutes with a sense of descent descend into the body right down to the ground settle your body speech in a natural state striking this balance this equipoise between relaxation and vigilance
rest your awareness in its own place, in stillness, and knowing that stillness. Still resting awareness in its own place without moving, direct the light of awareness to the sensations of the rise and fall of the abdomen with each in and out breath. Again, as soon as you've noted those, those sensations, there's no need to visualize the, the belly or any part of the body. Just focus on the bare tactile sensations themselves. Rousing with each in-breath, relaxing with each out-breath, and straight away, at the beginning, at the very end of the inhalation, count mentally and very succinctly one, and then remain silent as you relax during the out-breath, arouse during in-breath, and in this way as described before, count one through ten. Again, the balance is to increase the continuity, the sustained coherence of the flow of awareness, directed attention, without tightening up. And this release with every out-breath can really facilitate that. So now let's continue practicing in silence.
Well, I'm sure many of you have seen the illustration of the elephant, the monk, the monkey, the rabbit, the nine stages of shamatha, the winding road there leading up to the achievement of shamatha. And if you recall clearly, then at the very beginning, there's a kind of a bonfire, bonfire that symbolizes effort and enthusiasm, but really kind of here, effort which along the course of that path gets smaller, smaller, smaller until stage nine is out. There's no, there's no effort. And so when first seeing that, then one can think, okay, to achieve shamatha, I really need to really clamp down and squeeze and try really hard at the beginning, try as hard as I can, and then I'll succeed really quickly. That's what I did uh, when I went into my first shamatha retreat. I just tried as hard as I could. And uh, son of a gun, I got really good stability. Just bearing down, you know, good macho California cowboy, cowboy football player, no pain, no gain kind of approach. Son of a gun, it worked. I could, I could sit there and I could be there for minute after minute with no wandering. I just would be on it like, you know, like a, like a Rottweiler got, got his teeth into a rat, you know. Like, I thought, wow, this is going really well. I'm going to achieve shamatha really quickly. I think in about 27 and a half days because I had it all crapped out. <laughs> and then lo and behold, I was surprised that, that um, after a while it wasn't getting any better at all. Uh, I was just getting more and more and more tense and unhappy and wound up. So then I had to re- reboot. So at the beginning, it's quite true. Relative to the rest of the path of shamatha, that's when you need the most effort. That's true. That's, that's a truth that's not going away. Along those nine stages, you need the most effort at the beginning, and then it does gradually decline until it's zero. But how much? How much? And that's where you really need to strike the balance. If you're giving too, li- too, too little, if you're kind of so emphasizing relaxation at the very outset, then you're just going to hit, slip into this kind of sloppy approach that becomes habit. Like, well, he said, relax, so I'm kind of relaxing, blah, 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 I'm kind of meditating, kind of not, blah, 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 but at least I'm really relaxed. And he said, don't fall asleep, I'm not, blah, 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 you know, and you just kind of hang out there, definitely. That's not achieving shamatha. So then you know that's one extreme. The other extreme is bearing down so much that you're just getting stressed out, tightening up and so forth. So find that middle way. Find that middle way. And the counting can be helpful in that, especially between the playful quality to it, kind of a light quality, you know, kind of like make it some fun. So there's that. Now, especially for people who are listening from home, maybe some not in retreat at all, some in quasi-retreat, some actually in retreat listening to podcasts. Here's a question that comes up a lot, and I have an answer from a very accomplished yogi. His name was... Geshe Yeshe Topten Kentutukla. Oh, wonderful wonderful yogi. Spent, I don't know, something like 35 years in retreat, just embodied. This is what a contemplative, this is how contemplative manifests. And he was asked on one occasion, how many hours a day do you need to practice shamatha in order to really have a chance of progressing along that path and not just kind of practicing shamatha going around and around in circles? And his answer was very clear. He said, three hours. Three hours. So three hours of daily practice, you really have a chance to actually proceed along the path and this not stop, continue going all the way. But then where's the catch? Three hours? That's not too bad. That's like a serious hobby. Uh, but unlike a serious hobby like golf or chess or video games or what have you, the catch, the caveat, the, the fine print is the rest of your way of life has to be very contemplative. 
That doesn't mean you have to be in strict solitude, but it does mean you've got to be present. You've got to, that is, in basketball, they call it full court press. That is, you're, where, you're, you're there the whole way, the whole way. That is, you just don't stop practicing Dharma. You're answering your email, you're preparing, preparing breakfast, you're washing dishes, cleaning the clothes, driving to work, and so forth. And you're just, you're relentless, but cheerfully relentless. Not bearing down, gritting your teeth, you know, shamato or bust. Cheerfully relentless, but just don't give them an inch. That, that whole stream of blah, 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 the rumination, don't let them in. Don't let them in. You know, just be relentless. Like, what do they say? Just say no or zero tolerance. We've got all kinds of words for that. As much as you can, just remain sane constantly throughout the entire day without losing your mind at all. If you do that without being in strict ritual, but you're really maintaining that flow of mindfulness, that introspection, that presence of mind, sustaining your bodhicitta, sustaining whatever practice of Guru Yoga you have. Then that was his word, and here's from a really seasoned yogi, right? So for those listening by podcast who are temporarily in retreat, you should be able to do more than three here in this environment, more than three hours, I would hope so. But even if one, this is from a, from Atisha, the great Atisha, he says, if you've, done, if you've not assembled the the necessary causing additions, the prerequisites, you know, the necessary factors, then even if you practice for a thousand years, you won't achieve shamatha. You know? And that does include the outer. You want to have a conducive environment, but especially emphasis on the inner. I won't go into details right now, but the point here is even if you're in full-time retreat, you have nothing else to do, and you go on for month and month and month, maybe practicing eight or nine, ten hours a day. Well, that's pretty substantial. But what are you doing with the rest of the hours? And during the rest of the hours, if it's just kind of business as usual, the mind wandering around, mundane thoughts, mundane aspirations, bit of email here, bit of this, bit of that. In other words, you're walking backwards every time you're out off the cushion, and you're walking forwards every time on the cushion. Even if you're on the cushion eight hours a day, that's another eight hours a day you're walking backwards. So, so do the math. Eight hours forward, eight hours backward, do it for a thousand years. And the math is clear. Yeah. So... There it is. It always comes back to this point. Songa make this point. If you want to really progress on this path, it has to be continuous. And specifically, said Pashamata. It's not enough to really bear down and really focus and be, you know, really meditating when you're on the cushion and then when you're off the cushion, just have your mind go blah, 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 blah. He said, you'll never achieve it. You won't achieve it. It's got to be. He said, with respect to visualizing a Buddha image, he said, if, if you're doing that, even in between sessions, you're just gently holding peripherally the awareness of that Buddha image, gently, as you're attending to whatever, whatever else needs to be done. So a bit of multitasking, right? Don't lose touch. Don't completely disengage. Now, that's difficult with a, ment- a mental image you're trying to hold all the time, but it shouldn't be so difficult with breathing. Because here, the sensation, the object of meditation is being presented to you every moment anyway. The Buddha image isn't there if you're not visualizing it, whereas the sensations of the breath are, right? So really maintain that. We're between sessions now, you're breathing all the time. Maintain that peripheral awareness, a gentle flow. Be present in the body, aware of the ebb and flow of the breath. As much continuity as you can bring, then when you go into session, it will be smoothly going into session and going deeper, coming out and not walking backwards, just maintaining, and then smoothly into session and going deeper. We have to be really clever here. Because there aren't that many people practicing shamatha. We don't have lots and lots of examples of people who have achieved it. There are people now who have achieved it. But they're not very common. Simple reason. Not many conducive environment, not many people teaching it, not many people practicing among those practicing, not many people doing it in order to really achieve it. 
So do the math. Of course, it's going to be rare. So therefore, we have to be very clever. So let's be clever and enjoy the day. See you later.